You're listening to Your Jewish Life, Your Way with Karen Cinnamon, the podcast that explores what it feels like to be Jewish or Jewish in 2022. On the show, we divulge all of the secrets and know-how to being confident in celebrating and living your Jewish life, your way, with easy, simple ways to embrace your mishpacha through the traditions and rituals you've been dying to learn more about. So save your kvetching, we are talking less Jewish guilt and more Jewish joy here on out. Yalla, forget about the right and wrong ways to be Jewish. It's time to create a Jewish life you love living. Welcome to another episode of the Your Jewish Life podcast. I'm your host, Karen Cinnamon. It's so exciting to be talking to you today because the Jewish New Year of Rosh Hashanah is just around the corner. How do you feel about Rosh Hashanah? Is it a time for you where you like to reflect and look back on the last year, look ahead with intentions for the upcoming year? Or is it more just about the togetherness and the food and family? Or maybe you're one of those people who finds the holidays actually really stressful and you're not looking forward to it at all. If that's you, I'd also really appreciate if you would DM me at Your Jewish Life on Instagram because I might do an episode about, you know, when Jewish holidays are not something that we look forward to for whatever reason. And if anybody wants me to focus on that, I would love to do an episode. So make sure you DM me at Your Jewish Life if that's you. But today is a really uplifting episode that will get you in the mood for Rosh Hashanah no matter how you feel about the holidays. But one thing that always does come up with Rosh Hashanah is what am I going to make? How am I going to be inspired? What's going to be on the table? How am I going to make it look pretty? How am I going to make it look tasty? How am I going to do all this without getting the pre-holiday stress and whatever else? So I thought it'd be really fun to chat to the wonderful, the amazing, the iconic Adina Sussman, who I'm sure you all know who she is. She's got a massive Instagram account. She's got incredible cookbooks out that me and my girls love to cook from. If you don't know who she is, she is a food writer. She is an Israeli cuisine expert. And I was fortunate enough to meet her in her home earlier this year in Tel Aviv, Adina Sussman. And she, wow, I just was overcome by her warmth, her spirit, her joy, her energy. And I was just bowled over. And as soon as I met her the following day, I whipped out an email. I said, will you come on the podcast? Because I just wanted to hang out with her more. I wanted to know more about her story, how she got to where she is. What was it like for her moving to Israel seven years ago after meeting her husband? How, you know, living in Israel has helped with her food writing, how she's navigated Israeli food culture as an outsider. And of course, with Rosh Hashanah around the corner, I wanted to hear about her favorite Rosh Hashanah recipes and ideas for giving our holiday tables a little bit of Israeli flair, a little bit of Adina flair. So let's dive into the episode. As always, join in the conversation by DMing me at Your Jewish Life or just screenshotting and tagging me. And, and I just absolutely love getting your messages and hearing from you. So without further ado, let's dive into today's interview with Adina. Welcome to the podcast, Adina. It's such a thrill to finally be speaking to you on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Two busy women took us a little while to uh, yeah. get it together, but I'm glad we did. And it's even nicer because we got to meet in person earlier this year. So. We did. I was lucky enough to have been invited into Adina's home in Tel Aviv as part of the Jews Talk Justice 
trip that I was invited on earlier this year and it's safe to say it was a huge highlight of the trip being in your warm environment and watching you in your natural habitat <laughs> and I have here no one can see obviously because we're on a podcast but I'll probably put it on Instagram you can have a look if you're listening I have here this beautiful cookbook of Zababa and um, I've just, I'm just mesmerized by it. So I've heard of your recipes and cooking your recipes, but the way you write is so engaging and what a labor of love. We're going to get into Thank it all. <laughs> First of all, I want to ask you, I know it's a loaded question, but how did you get here? Why are you the person I'm talking to about Israeli <laughs> flavors to I, I think it's yeah. safe to say sort of Israeli flavors to a diaspora audience sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. How would you describe it? Yeah, I mean, I have a long, you know, and wonderful history with Israel. My parents actually lived here for a year before I was born. I was almost born in Israel, and um, I grew up, my parents are American, and I grew up coming here and spent a gap year here between high school and college, and then five years after college. And right after that, I got into food writing, and it was sort of around the time that Israeli cuisine started to sort of bubble up as what was then a trend, but I would say now is, you know, a cuisine that people sort of approach sort of like Italian food, Mexican food, Spanish food. It, it's a cuisine that's here to stay as evidenced by the number of restaurants and cookbooks and products that I think just have entered sort of the general mainstream. So I started writing about those things early and often. And then my personal life led me to Israel about seven years ago when I met my now husband, Jay, who had been living here for a long time. And I wrote a book proposal to write a book sort of about how a person like me would find their way in Israel through the Israeli pantry. And I tried to bring that sort of adventure to the readers of the book and show them how they could, you know, use all of the staples of the Israeli kitchen in a variety of ways to sort of enliven their cuisine and to sort of connect them to this wonderful place where I live. Wow. And it's interesting to hear how your personal life sort of wove into that story. Did it all come together at once? You're moved to Israel. You're falling in love with your husband, the cookbook. Tell yeah. Me you know, I was 43 years old and I had never been married. And I was set up on a blind date with Jay, who was in New York on a business trip. And, you know, I just was at a point in my life where I had recommitted myself to being open to any possibility, whether that was staying in New York or moving to back to the Bay Area, California, where I grew up, or maybe to Tel Aviv, where I had never lived, but I was increasingly enamored with. And, you know, I decided to prioritize my personal life as opposed to my career, which I had really been pushing on for a long time. And I just said that I was going to give this relationship the attention that it deserved. And um, I started spending a lot of time in Israel. And I feel like I got rewarded for taking a risk in my personal life, which I think is something that, you know, we all need to remember that, you know, risks have rewards and, you know, I love you can't, that. I love yeah, that. You know, and you can't really, a lot of times I think the lesson is like, you know, you, you might, you might be plumbing the depths, but like the heights are right around the corner and you need to kind of give them an opportunity to sort of, present themselves. So I started spending more time in Israel. And then I had a literary agent who helped me with all of my co-authoring jobs. I had written 15 cookbooks with other people, including Chrissy Teigen. I've written several books with her. And I was definitely worried about what was going to happen to my career moving to Israel. But in fact, you know, moving here has only benefited my career. And, and, and I think it's because 
you know, I put myself first and my personal life and decided to like chase happiness, you know? And so I think that that all kind of manifested in a lot of really interesting and different ways that continue to reap rewards for me personally. So, you know, it all kind of, it did all kind of happen together. So is it fair to say if you wouldn't have agreed to go on that blind date, we I might not be sitting here yeah. with my copy of Sababa or is that a bit extreme? Yeah. No, I think for sure. I mean, you know, I had been approached to write an Israeli cookbook or had definitely bandied the idea about, but I, I didn't feel like I wanted to do it as a visitor or as a sort of a dilettante or an interloper, even though I knew the cuisine well and I knew people in the food world here. And, you know, all of a sudden I found myself living in Tel Aviv and realized that this was my chance. And so, you know, I dedicated the book to Jay because without him, I never would have been living here probably or as quickly and had the opportunity to, you know, pursue this personal dream of mine to to bring the food that I love to a wider audience, you know, in the United States and around the world. There's so many things that you're saying that I want to talk about. But first of all, I love that you, you know, so often I can relate to that. Um, I don't meet my husband until my late 30s and just, you know, trying to sort of push ahead in your career career. And then actually you yeah. put yourself first and, you're, and, and it nourishes you to such greater depths than, than is yeah. possible. And I love what you're saying. And also, it's so interesting to hear what you said about writing the cookbook from living in Israel as opposed to in America, because so much of the sugar caramel is sort of woven in. And that seems to be a very big part of your food identity now. And obviously, you're literally in the yeah. sugar. <laughs> Tell yeah, me about I that. In, I, yeah, I live in the market. And, you know, when I set out to write this book, I had like a real oh shit moment because like I got the book contract. And then I was like, but what am I going to say? Like, what am I going to say that hasn't already been said by all these amazing people like Otolenghi and Sammy Tamimi and Michael Solomonov and Einar Admoni? And I really had to dig deep into, you know, what I could bring uniquely to the table. And, you know, what I realized is that all these other people, as incredible as they are and as 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 much as they are my rock stars and idols, like, I live here. <laughs> yeah, I live in Israel, you know, and um, I, I did the opposite journey of a lot of people who live now who left Israel and live abroad and do the same thing that I do. But from there, but I actually came here as a new immigrant. And like, I think that showing my vulnerability as someone who was moving to this country and trying to find a way inside, you know, that feeling of being an outsider in a culture, which you know, it's something I think we can all relate to in our lives in different areas. It doesn't have to be about moving to a new place. It could be about being at a party or at a job or dating or whatever, you know, just, you know, what I realized was that by making my story as personal as possible and sharing from a really, from a, my first person perspective of what it's like for me every day in Israel, like taking people into my life and also having confidence that people would want to hear my story and be interested in what I had to say after writing so many other people's books and writing in their voices and cooking their food and helping them realize their dreams, you know, to sort of do that all for myself in my own service and then put it all out there for other people was like this crazy period of vulnerability and risk and, and excitement and, you know, and all of that, you know, and what, and what I realized was that the more personal uh, and I am, and the more I share, the more people can relate and connect to me and what, 
what I have experienced. So that's like a lesson that I learned from the process of writing my first book that I now try and, you know, even in our conversation, like why, you know, just, just let it all be, let it hang out. You know, if you feel comfortable sharing, then share. It's only going to bring you closer to people faster. You know, that's sort of, that's sort of how I, how I live my life. <laughs> I love that. I bet you wish you'd known that, well, 20 years ago. I think we all wish you'd known. It's hard to sort of shed the layers and shed the expectations. And do you think being in Israel where people are so much better at being themselves, whether they want to be or be entry or insulting, must have helped the process? Was that something that you struggled with in America or is it just a coincidence living in Israel? I mean, I think moving to a place allowed me to both shed any preconceived notions of who I was that either others had put on me or I had put on myself. You know, we all do that. Like we put on a uniform based upon the life that we've created for ourselves. And so all of a sudden I was in a new place and there was no uniform. I could just recreate my wardrobe, I guess. (laughs) And, you know, and so, yes, Israelis, you know, have their own unique style of expressing themselves. And I, you know, I think I've become more direct since living here, but I still like to maintain my perceived gentility of how I was raised and how I like mm-hmm. to operate in the world. So I, I, I think that, you know, just like every immigrant brings something new to this culture, like every person relates to Israeli culture differently. And, you know, you can appreciate the brusqueness and the directness of Israelis. And, you know, I learned how to be that way, but also to still comport myself the way that I want to, and the way, and the way that makes me feel good, you know? So, you know, I'm not really a yeller (laughs) and Israelis just raise their voices a lot. It's just how they express themselves. And like, first you have to learn that people aren't mad if they're yelling, they're just talking, but I don't have to do that to express myself or to communicate, you know, and, or to be heard even, you know, so that's like a lesson also, no matter where you are, like you can still be yourself and communicate the way that you like. And, you know, I've found my way here by sort of, I'd say blending like local culture with like what I bring to it and how I like to live my daily life, I would say. Mm, There's so many life lessons to be taken from your story. (sighs) But the one that also I want to address and make sure we don't skip over in my hurry to talk about so many things (laughs) is what you said earlier about I think something we all feel the imposter syndrome, you know, who am I to write well, yeah. am I something different to this one and that one that's already been said. And, the, and we also, in my community, I hear stories of people suffering from what they call Jewish imposter syndrome, you know, not being Jewish enough. Mm-hmm. Not, what, what tips have you got about imposter syndrome and, you know, um, becoming well, first of all, a, Yeah. I want to thank you for what your, the message that you always put out there about if everyone is Jewish enough, like I really completely agree with that and I find it so inspiring that you share that message with people and I'm sure you know as someone who had an easy way into Israel because I have two Jewish parents and was raised orthodox I think I sometimes take for granted how sometimes othering even the Jewish world can be and and like you know people need to feel included and you know I think everyone has a seat at our table regardless of their how they arrived there. And I think, you know, the story of how they arrived there is interesting, but it's their story. And if they are Jewish enough for themselves, then they should be Jewish enough for you. That's, that's really how I feel. And I, you know, I think that 
I try to bring that to how I express the intersection of my Judaism and my Israeliness. You know, it there's no there's no bar to entry. You know, like you can adopt a little of this food or a lot. You can dip into this culture or immerse yourself in it completely. For me, like living here, you know, it's like been like a full frontal experience. (laughs) You know, I think that the older I get, like the less I want to apologize for being Jewish or anything that that entails. And I don't feel that we need to. I don't think we need to apologize for who we are or what or the identity that we've chosen. And so I think that living in Israel, a place that can be controversial sometimes or that people have a lot of opinions about has, you know, initially made me feel a little bit on the defensive. But as the longer I've lived here, the more comfortable I've gotten with who I am and where I live and what my life is about. And like no longer feeling the need to make apologies for that or to rationalize my existence or Jewish people's existence, (laughs) you know, or the right of Israel to exist. So, Mm, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm half. And that's not a political statement. That's just a human statement, you know? Yeah. And I, I know my, I'm, I'm half Israeli. My mother's Israeli spent lots Mm -hmm. of time there and I've lived there in my twenties. And I know when I spend time in Israel, whether it's living there on holiday there, whatever, or, or, feeding into that side of my identity that's when I feel my most unapologetic self it's interesting Um, yeah you know it's uh Judaism is a culture as much as it as it is a religion and when you're in Israel you know you're surrounded by the joys of being Jewish and the joys of being Muslim and Arab and many and many other cultures it's an inclusive society um yeah I mean Israel's not without its challenges and could do better like every country can (laughs) and every culture can. But, you know, I enjoy being Jewish here because it doesn't have to include Jewish ritual in order to, like, make me feel my Judaism, which is something that I really like. You know, going shopping in the Shuk is Jewish ritual for me. I love that that you've created what someone wouldn't associate in a diaspora going to the market their market the Jewish ritual but no reason why any any market where you're shopping can be a ritual. and I love anything of course if you're shopping for a holiday meal or for Shabbat you know like that you know and whatever Shabbat means to you or how you just choose to observe a holiday you know then it all can become ritualistic for you you know and we're we're head Rosh Hashanah is right around the corner mm-hmm. it's so different and so wonderful celebrating Rosh Hashanah when everyone around you celebrating Rosh Hashanah mm-hmm. let's talk about that difference between I know you grew up in a more orthodox setting so mm-hmm. I don't know how it felt in as in childhood but say in adulthood when you're living in New York you um, emigrated you know doing the holidays in um, New York versus doing the holidays in Israel yeah. just any thoughts around Rosh Hashanah getting people excited within I mean, rituals I really relate to the sort of uh, metaphorical concept of a new year as well as like a chance to reassess and refresh your life and change anything you want to change and, you know, have fresh starts, you know? So I think, again, it's like, it's the Jewish new year is, is very communal, but it's also very personal and from, and, and celebrating, you know, the Jewish holidays in Israel is fun because you don't have to explain to anyone why you're not at work (laughs) or, 
you know, why you're why not you've got to rush phone. home early as well. Why you're not on your phone, <laughs> you know, you, you know, you go to the market and there's honey and pomegranates and honeycomb everywhere. And, you know, also learning dishes from, you know, other cultures that are associated with the Jewish holidays that I didn't grow up with as an Ashkenazi Jew, you know, and, you know, understanding that just the vast breadth and depth of Israeli food culture and how it interplays with the holidays. It's like always really fun. I love how it's a nationally, among Jews, a nationally observed holiday, you know, and I really, I do enjoy that, you know. I also enjoy, to be honest, I, I, I think that growing up a little different in the United States also was fun. Like I liked that our, my family had our special rituals and, and holidays that other people didn't have. And, and it made me feel like special. Yeah. And, you know, so, so I think both are, both have their benefits. And I think that again, like growing up a bit of an outsider, like being different from other people, like I think that at some point in your life, that can be a challenging experience. But ultimately, I think if you view that other perspective as like, as strength, like it can give you like supernatural powers that other people don't have, like how to see things differently, how to feel really independent and how to look at things through your own lens as opposed to like the lens that everyone else is looking through, you know? I love that. It's all about you're sort of owning it all, aren't you? And yeah. How do we get me to say now at age 50? Like I wish I had to talk to my 30 year old self, but you know, that comes with age and someone's listening thinking they're not in that place yet and they are being apologetic and they are hiding and and they are they are feeling you know excluded and what have you any shortcuts to to feeling how you're feeling now or is it just the wisdom Um, of of the years I I would say seek out other people who are like-minded find venues whether online or in person where with people who share your points of view also just never give up hope you know that that things can be different or things can change and like keep keep reinventing yourself keep trying on new uniforms like we were talking about like no one gets to tell you who you are at any point in your life and I'm completely different person than I was when I was 30 I think that I have certain core elements in me that are the same but like if I looked back at that person you know so different and like it was a lot of work and a lot of experimentation and a lot of trial and error and a lot of life experience to become me now. And I might be a different person in 10 years. I hope I am, honestly, (laughs) like, I don't, you know, I don't want to stay the same all the time. I want to feel like I know who I am at all times, but I don't, that person doesn't need to be the same person, you know? Yeah. And it's about seeking out your, you know, your like-minded squad, you know, people that. Yeah. I would definitely say if you, if there are people in your life who you feel are holding you back or make you feel bad about yourself or who you are for any reason, like there's no need to linger on those people, you know, really life is too short. (laughs) Just want to take a brief moment to tell you about my community, Smashing Life. It's a beautiful Jewish community that I'd absolutely love you to be a part of. It's a place to build the life you want on your terms, empowered by a community of like-minded Jewish women from all over the world. We have masterclasses and parties and get-togethers and socials and so much more. Um, Why don't I hand over to Ashley, one of our members from Los Angeles, and she can tell you what it's all about. So my favorite thing about being in Spashing Life is that it provides access to 
basically a group of friends where it's safe to share things that are good, that are bad, and things that you would never share publicly, like, I just took a pregnancy test and it came back negative. This sucks, everybody commiserate with me, or someone at work just threw me under the bus, and you know, people are so supportive, or you get to share something positive, like, you know, I just got a promotion at work, but I can't share it yet because it hasn't been announced yet. You can just share everything with each other and get you know support you can get just your group of friends cheering you on or commiserating with you supporting you for whatever you need and it's it's so special so there you have it that smashing life it's an incredible community membership club for jewish women and i'd love you to join just head to smashinglife.club smashinglife.club and join today And circling back to Rosh Hashanah, everybody wants your inspiration at their table. So (laughs) where do we start? How do we even think about menu planning for Rosh Hashanah? What are you loving this year? Um, Talk to me about menu hacks, anything like that. (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, we associate the Jewish holidays in the fall with like sweet foods for a sweet new year. And like, if you're, you know, sort of, sort of, you know, plying your trade in the Israeli kitchen and pantry you know there's so many fun ways to sweeten food you know you've got silan like date honey you've got pomegranate molasses you've got honey you've got you know halva like there's so many different sweeteners and sweet things here that you can use to sort of embellish your food and sort of give it a very Israeli or and Middle Eastern flair and also a lot of them are you know associated with the set the, the original seven species that are indigenous to Israel so it's fun to use those things in your cooking this time of year. I think, what would I say? Like, you know, from Sababa, like, you know, the book came out right before Rosh Hashanah a couple of years ago. And all of a sudden everyone, I didn't even realize that I had sort of created Rosh Hashanah menu, but there was a a Harissa honey chicken. There's a coleslaw that has apples and slices and pomegranate seeds in it. You know, like, I guess I was operating on a subconscious level that I wasn't even (laughs) realizing. You know, and I think also it's really fun. I just finished my next book, Shabbat, which is coming out in a year. And I ended up really digging deep into my family recipes and sort of revisiting them and, you know, tweaking them a little bit and sort of really writing a lot about my childhood and how I approached those recipes as a kid and what they mean to me now. So I think it is really fun to try and dig up a family recipe or two and add it into your menu, even if you're into something different now. And also like try and talk to your grandma, talk to your mom, talk to your dad, talk to your cousins and ask them how they remember eating this and, you know, and what what memories and emotions it evokes for them and you know and sort of bringing that into the table like really enriches like the holiday experience it's it's as much about that as it is about the food itself and if you don't have a good relationship with your family or if you don't have those memories then create them you know bring your friends to the table bring your chosen family to the table write things down create traditions of your own you know it's all traditions are are wonderful and they can be created like in all different kinds of ways I love that so much and it's also nice to give back invite someone to your Rosh Hashanah table that maybe hasn't absolutely your your food is such a beauty to the eye as well what about decorating the table any tips for that yeah 
I tend to keep it pretty simple, but like I'll use, you know, fresh herbs instead of flowers on the table or a lot of candles. I like to serve things family style and big platters so that people feel like they, they have a part in digging into the meal and like, you know, serving themselves makes you, makes them feel at home. I don't really plate things formally, like from the kitchen. I like to cook when people are over also so that they see the imperfections of every cook's process and also just like bringing people into my cooking is like a great prelude to the meal, you know, finishing things Mm -hmm. off. I'm pretty organized. So it's not about being behind, but I like to sort of finish things with people around so they can Mm -hmm. sort of be brought into the process, you know, or a great way to make guests feel at home is to ask them to help. Like, I think people think that like waiting on your guests and like having them sit in the living room is the way to do it, but really bringing them into the kitchen, like a sharing what you're doing with them is like a great shortcut to like making people feel super at home in your home. So like that's to me, that's like as, as important as like the decor, you know, just like bringing everyone into the process. I love that. I love that. I'm just conjuring up kind of having been in your, in your home, how that actually (laughs) must be an incredible feeling. And I'm, I'm imagining that or wondering whether this way creative way and the sort of family style of things is that something that you saw in your childhood that you emulate now is it a yeah my mom yeah no definitely my mom was a really good cook I mean my mom grew up in a not not religious home not very Jewishly affiliated and she also grew up in a home where cooking was not celebrated so when she met my father who was orthodox she had to learn how to both cook and cook kosher and Jewish at the same time so it was like this multi-pronged education for her Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there was a lot going on that I didn't even know about by the time I was old enough to understand and savor her cooking. But, um, we had a lot of guests over cause we lived in a university town and we were one of the few kosher families around. So people would always call us and ask for a place at the Shabbat table. And my parents were very warm and welcoming about having strangers at the table, which is a wonderful Jewish value. I think one of the strongest points of Judaism is welcoming in the stranger and making them feel at home and always having room at your table. And like the table is always expandable, you know, there's always enough food. (laughs) There's always enough. Um, And we're lucky that we live in such a time of abundance, you know, and most of us can, you know, an extra piece of chicken or one less leftover serving isn't going to, it's only going to improve your dinner. Like, you know, so definitely had that value system instilled in me and and my mother was worked and so she pulled my sister and I into her cooking early and often so we were often helping her she would call us and tell us how to do things by phone if she was on her way home or pull things out of the freezer and so I had a high comfort level in the kitchen what my mom was a very Hamish cook like home style like not I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I don't want to demean her cooking because it was amazing but what we weren't like a gourmet home there yeah. weren't fancy ingredients, this, you know, we were kosher. So there was margarine um, instead of butter and, you know, garlic powder instead of fresh garlic. And, you know, I still love all those flavors and I still incorporate them into my cooking, you know, mm-hmm. like, again, like, you know, I have a, my mom's Shabbat chicken in my book is like all the different dried spices, like sprinkled over the chicken until it makes like almost like a paste of beautiful spices. And it's over like cut, like thinly sliced mm-hmm. onions which, and the juices from the chicken go into the onions. It's just to me, the most homey, comforting, delicious thing you could have for Shabbat dinner, you know, and it takes like five minutes to make. So, and then in my own life, you know, 
I, I've worked in the culinary world for 20 years. I've written so many books and, you know, I still like to keep my food simple, but my idea of simplicity revolves around seasonal cooking and, um, you know, finding as many local products as I can and things that inspire me based on where I'm living or something that I'm reading or doing and, or who's coming over, you know, and so things vary a lot and, or I'm making someone's favorite dish, which is something I really like to do. Like if I know someone likes something, you know, like my stepdaughter really likes this like corn and feta and za'atar salad that I make. So I always make that when she comes over and that's kind of like our dish together, you know, so like there are those little rituals that you create through your giving and your cooking and your gen. And to me, those two things are so intertwined, you know, and, and my father recently made Aliyah. So that's um, right. I was going to ask so, you about that. So uh, how did all that come about? And is he, is he near you in, in Israel? Um, my father and stepmother um, have always, you know, they've wanted to live here for a long time. And I think COVID just kind of sped up the process for them. They have friends in Jerusalem and they moved to Jerusalem. And so, you know, we haven't still haven't gotten into a regular routine. Everyone's been traveling a lot and still, you know, just finally getting out of COVID and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. But like, I'm looking forward to having, you know, Shabbat meals with them more. And Israel was a big source of inspiration and like a big light in our lives growing up. And so like to be living here and have my father and stepmom living here too, um, you know, is, is amazing, honestly. (laughs) My mom passed away a long time ago, but she also really loved Israel and, um, you know, they instilled in us a love for this country that obviously more off on me. <laughs> so. Wow, what an incredible decade or whatever it's been. Yeah. So I want to go back to when you were saying about the roast chicken and Shabbat, mm-hmm. and I know you, you've talked about your new cookbook, Shabbat, mm-hmm. coming out next year. Now, mm-hmm. when I think of Shabbat, obviously I think of rest, and recharge, yeah. reflection. Mm-hmm. Are those themes in your in your new book? Yeah, I mean, I write about a little bit the sort of, you know, the Shabbat is supposed to be about resting and like, how does, what does that mean in relation to cooking? I think that if you're someone who typically is stressed out by cooking, then like the idea of trying to get the cooking done before Shabbat is like an amazing idea because then you can really dedicate that time to, you know, doing things that only fill your cup as opposed to stress you out or, you know, trying to sort of be more mindful about cooking, you know, savor the ingredients, slow it down a little bit, take some time. You know, I I wrote a little essay in the book about cooking as rest, you know, and like that cooking can be restful and part of your restoration on the weekend as opposed to a source of stress. And how for me, as someone who grew up Orthodox where no cooking was allowed, I had to sort of reframe for myself the idea that I could cook on Shabbat and that it would be part of my Shabbat experience as opposed to in opposition to that, you know? And so I think that, again, like we were talking about, everyone gets to create the Shabbat that they want, how they want to do it, and whether that means lighting candles and having a slice of challah and then going out for dinner or going out with friends or or spending two days cooking because that's what you love to do. And like rest means different things to different people as well, you know? Resting could be going to the gym. If that's something you need to do on the weekend that you don't have time to do during the week, like do it, you know? It doesn't mean you have to sit in your house by yourself. If I really like to sit in my house and try not to do much or go swimming or do something that's, you know, good for my body and my mind. But, you know, again, like 
everyone's approach is and should be different in my opinion it's a day to separate from the other six days it's a way it's a day to mark yeah I would ask you in our house um mm-hmm. what two girls seven and eight as you know we love making your tahini and olive oil mm-hmm. that's a great recipe for the kids to get involved in as well they almost know it off by heart and Thank my you. Is, it, is it a firm favorite we'll link to my my reel of us making it in the show notes but um oh and also before I forget to say we're all we're going to link to all the recipes that um Adina oh great well yeah so people can easily access those Rosh Hashanah ones you mentioned and anything else but um in our house on Shabbat morning Saturday morning challah French toast is a firm favorite Ooh. does it make an appearance or a, var- a variation of it in your Shabbat cookbook or is it too obvious <laughs> I did not do a challah French toast but I think that it's a great thing to do to use on Shabbat we, my challah doesn't usually make it that far <laughs> but I mean but um I think it's great I mean in sababa we use challah as croutons in a salad I think challah for sandwiches is amazing you know the big trend in Israel is like a schnitzel sandwich on challah right now oh, that's like what everyone's making so that's like a really good one I have some creative breakfast ideas I have a like a bread pudding that uses challah you know mm-hmm. that is sort of I would say my sweet approach to breakfast and it's something that you can set up the night before and then just pop in the oven in the morning so like to me that is also like rest if you want to put it together after dinner you can and then just wake up in the morning and throw it in the oven or make someone else do it I'm so excited for this cookbook I, I think it's needed you know I think Shabbat is more this ancient tradition is more relevant than ever before yeah um, I mean unplugging unplugging connecting with family sitting around the table not watching television, you know, letting sort of electronics kind of take a back seat for even a few hours while you just talk to people. Yeah, <laughs> nurturing things. your health, like you said, you know, you try to do mm-hmm. something, swimming or just reading silence, anything mm-hmm. like that. Now, I want to, we always end these F- F- interviews with some some fun, quick fire questions, which I'm going to get to in mm-hmm. a moment. I can't let you go without talking about my lockdown memories of Adina mm-hmm. in Chrissy Teigen's kitchen. <laughs> it was, it was like, what, what was going on? How did you end up being locked down in Chrissy's kitchen? Well, wow. I kind well, of hear stories on the internet, but I want to hear it from you. Yeah. Well, I've been co- working with Chrissy Teigen since 2014. We've written three books together that are all have all been New York Times bestsellers. And every time I write a book with Chrissy, I move into the house with her and her husband, John Legend, the singer. And sounds very crazy, but it's very fun and normal. Like we just hang out, we cook, we watch TV, we order in, I play with the kids, I feed people. But COVID was, you know, uh, it, it was a unique time because, you know, it was September, 2020, like the world was still in like deep, deep lockdown. And I, because I'm both an American and an Israeli citizen, I was able to travel between the two countries and so I decided to go out there and work on our third book together. And maybe it was because of COVID, but, you know, Chrissy, you know, really explored her, she has Jewish roots and it was something that we had never talked about and we're quite close and had written two whole books together and it never really came up, but, you know, she was talking about her grandma, Ruth. And I was like, what's her grandma's last name? It was Ruth Schaefer. I was like, mm. you know, and it turned out that she had recently been talking to her father about it and. Her father, his mother had grown up very religious and had been uh, shunned by her family for marrying a non-Jewish man. So she didn't bring a lot of Judaism into her 
her household. So Chrissy's dad doesn't know a lot, but he sort of remembers like an apple cake and like, uh, of course, he remembers food things that sort of maybe were touchstones of her Judaism. And so while I was there, you know, sort of like we were saying, like, just try and be yourself at all times. And like, people just really respond. Like I was there, I was feeling really homesick. It was Hanukkah. And I was living in Chrissy Teigen's house. And I was like, I need to do Hanukkah. You know, yeah. like, it doesn't matter that I'm in this home. Like, this is a big part of who I am. So I proposed to them, like, can we do a Hanukkah dinner? And they were like, so excited about it. And we did the full what did you make? What did you do for the Hanukkah dinner? Made, do you remember? We made latkes, homemade applesauce. I made my mother's brisket. We made, someone brought, turns out that a close friend of hers, Nova uh, and Jamie are Jewish and brought a noodle pudding. Mm. And, you know, all of a sudden we ha- we're having this Jewish Hanukkah feast and like People Magazine is writing about how Chrissy's daughter is learning how to play dreidel on Hanukkah, <laughs> you know, so like, and and that came about because I wanted to be my authentic self, you know? And so like, it was very exciting for me just to see the reward for me was sharing something that I loved with other people and like having people who didn't know what Hanukkah was or Judaism was just see it in a beautiful way, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and having it be shared with people who have never really done it themselves before. I got them, I got them a menorah as a gift and you know, and we, we lit candles by zoom with her dad and, you know, it was really special. It was really nice. And so that's what it was like. <laughs> I'm sure Lots it's of- one of your most memorable Hanukkahs because sharing our traditions like that in such a way that it sounds like it was, it really impacted them and you brought them in. And it's like you say, you know, sometimes there's a lot of internalized shame from the outside world into yeah. what we do and how we celebrate. And I love this mm-hmm. story of the absolute opposite and look how the rewards in the end for everybody. Yeah, it was really, you know, she ended up like sending latkes around LA by Uber to her friends <laughs> and brisket, you know, and only in LA. So excited and yeah, that, you know, so and then she did we, she did Shabbat dinner and you know we have a matzo ball soup recipe in the new book that was my family recipe and you know all kinds of little touches you know that sort of make their way into someone else's life you know so that that and and yeah and so I ended up being there for close to three months and we completed the book and it came out uh, the following year so I bet you did it a little speedier than normal because you had a lockdown um, we always work pretty fast actually because yeah. it's really like. 24 seven hands-on yeah. just like and with COVID it was even there was even less outside distraction we were just home all the time <laughs> so yeah so, Adina we're gonna th- we're gonna close up with some quick fire questions okay. you can answer questions in one word or you can tell me and elaborate into a story okay let's go so being Rosh Hashanah let's start with apples or honey honey tahini or olive oil I can't ask you that <laughs> tahini Tahiti. Red wine, white wine, or grape juice for Kiddish? White wine. Your favorite Yiddish word? My favorite Yiddish word. That's a good one. Um, Fabrengen, which means like getting the spirit going, like on a Friday night, like after (laughs) dinner. Your favorite Jewish tradition? My favorite Jewish tradition? uh, Baking challah. Do you have a favorite Jewish holiday? Passover. Love uh, Passover. I had wonderful seders growing up, big part of our 
Jewish life and big two big seders of 25 to 30 people every year, you know, spanning the tables into the living, mm. you know, with every available surface and, you know, all of that. And I bet you don't let matzah get in the way of some really good food. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually love matzah. Very, <laughs> I, I'm a controversial point of view, but I love matzah. And this year I did a matzah cinnamon toast crunch cereal that went viral online. Yes, we'll have to link to that. We'll link to yeah. it. And yeah. I saw your matzah topping was so good. Wasn't it like an artichoke dip or something? Yeah, that's a good one as well. I really like matzah. I like crunchy things. So. You think it's a good vehicle for, for other stuff yeah, or absolutely. good in its own right? <laughs> I think both. I think if you toast the matzah, I, I put my matzah on the toaster oven for like 30 oh. seconds just to like get it all crispy and warm smashing the glass or a big horror oh my god well I only got married five years ago so can I have both no <laughs> um big horror you had to have I'm one big yeah horror. I mean yeah. but of course you can have both now you've answered yes. <laughs> um couple more um what small thing or it can be a big thing is bringing you joy lately small thing that's bringing me joy um watching hacks on HBO Plus with Hannah Einbender, who's amazing. Yeah. Swimming in the Gordon Pool in North Tel Aviv. Swimming is my happy place. And also waking up knowing that I submitted my manuscript for my book and I don't have to lose endless hours of sleep anymore wow. <laughs> worrying yeah. about it. Wow. I cannot wait for that. I want to get you back on the podcast. We can talk all about it in full. And sure. finally... Mm -hmm. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? <laughs> Ooh, that's such a good question. Maybe just a picture of Tel Aviv and like showing, you know, trying to encourage people to come to Israel and see what it's all about and understand that it yeah. might be different than what they know or, or think they know about, or about this place. It's funny. Do you follow Jewish pride always? Yeah. So I saw a TikTok of hers and it was literally just this, view of Jerusalem and she just wrote Jerusalem is so stunning and it had tens of yeah. thousands of views and yeah. just the simplicity yeah all the all the layers of all sorts of stuff around and it's mm -hmm. just that the, the view it's it's mesmerizing yeah. Jerusalem is stunning I love Jerusalem oh Adina honestly there's so much to take away from today I think you've been an incredible guest I've learned so much about life about you about everything you put out into the world and just I I felt your amazing energy in your home and I feel it again today and I hope who are listening feel it as well and just thank you thank you and thank you for all that you do to help us all be proud of being Jewish Download my free guide on how to have your best Rosh Hashanah ever in 2022 at yourjewishlife.co slash Rosh. That's yourjewishlife.co slash R-O-S-H. If you want your best Rosh Hashanah ever in 2022, I've got you.